Again, here we are on the screen, and I'm talking again to a camera, but I'm getting used to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eventually get better at it. Just bear with me. It's new to me. We talked about that a little bit last week. This is not a response to COVID or any of that kind of stuff. This is just our next phase in um, planting this church here in Tempe is to kind of put the messages up online where we can look at the word together in the morning. Uh, and then come together as the church in the evening. So uh, Sunday night, if you're here, and especially in the Tempe or East Valley area, and you want to join us, we'd love for you to come. You can message us on social media. You can email. Uh, just reach out to us and let me uh, you know, say hello, and we'll send you our information and then um, tell you exactly where we are. I'd love for you to come join us. And uh, I think, you know, kind of down the road, pray for us. If you are here or aren't here, pray for us. As down the road, we begin to shift more towards a service on Sunday morning. But this is the way we're starting it. So if you have your Bible, we've been going through Colossians. So grab it up, and we're going to look at Colossians and move on with what's going on. Remember the theme here, Colossians 3.3, 3, that for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Great Great, great statement. So I'm going to read Colossians 3, 1. Uh, oh, Colossians 3, 1. Let me flip that around. Colossians 1, 3, <laughs> uh, 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it does also among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul likes to link those sentences together, doesn't he? Um, let me pray for us and we'll jump into that. Lord, I thank you for the privilege uh, again of being in your word. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of having it, holding it, sharing it. And I'm not saying that as a as a, as a pastor. I'm saying that as as a person who has faith and loves you. That's all of us, Lord, all of us who belong to you. You've given us the privilege of being entrusted with your word. Lord, I pray that you're honored by this time that we have. I pray, Lord, that we all learn from your word. I, I have the privilege of speaking and unpacking it, but I am a servant. I am a listener. I'm a learner. Your word is the voice. Pray, Father, that you never um, fall underneath my voice. I don't ever want that to happen because I always want to learn too. So help us hear clearly from your word. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So in our garage here in our house out into the in the desert, we had the same thing in our garage and back in uh, North Georgia. We have a box, good-sized box, but a box. It's full of stuffed animals. And uh, those stuffed animals uh, used to belong to Sarah, our daughter. She loved them, man. She had them all over her room, particularly she had them on her bed. She even slept with them. But as she grew older and matured, uh, those animals kind of lost their importance to her. And they're still there. 
in the garage, but they really just don't have a lot of value anymore, not to her. And it's not because they're trash now or anything like that, but because, like, you know, the one who gave them value is not focused on them anymore. She's not really looking at them that way. And, and I'm not saying that she should come back and get them and take them and go put them back on her bed. <laughs> I don't think Evan would appreciate that. Um, but, you know, what I am saying is that in a similar way, we receive blessings from God. And, you know, we from the when we're young in the faith, I'll spit this out in a second. This is that fun part about talking on camera. When we uh, when we're young, and by the way, I'm not cutting anything. So if this is crazy, bear with me because I'm not going to cut the thing up. You're going to get whatever you get. I mean, if you hear a beep or a dog, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so from the first moment that we come to faith is what I'm coming to here. From the first moment we come to faith, we we get these blessings from God, but as we grow older, we tend to forget them. Or we tend to box them up and stick them somewhere, you know, put them away like old toys. So so we know they're there. We know we have them. Yeah, we know we have them, but they're really not that big a deal anymore. They're, they're not something that we're focused on. They kind of lose their value in that way. But they're out there. Uh, Spurgeon said once that we tend to carve our struggles in marble and then write our blessings in sand. Great truth. So sometimes you need somebody outside of your little world to look back in on you and remind you of these things that maybe you forgot, you know. And then at the same time, when that person is somebody who's important to you or special to you, wow, is it powerful. If that's somebody that you look up to or you admire, it's it's a big deal to hear it from them. And it goes even farther when they say, hey, don't forget your blessings, but also let, let me remind you, I love you. I'm praying for you. I care about you. Those things are huge. So today I want to talk about some of these benefits of believing. That's kind of what we're going to call this section, the benefits of believing. And uh, I don't mean believing in the sense of just lip service. Yeah, I believe in God. I'm talking about life-altering trust in Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. And I want you to know here that as believers in Christ... Uh, like those that Paul's writing to here in Colossae, uh, you're being prayed for. You're part of a brotherhood of love, a, 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 a family. When I say brotherhood, I mean brotherhood, sisterhood, a family. Yeah, remember, you're also saved by grace. I mean, just think about that alone. You're saved, past tense, by grace. You have hope of heaven. You know, you have been served by faithful disciples. Powerful stuff. And I want that to encourage you, okay? Because I want you to move and start to share that same gospel that came to you. I want you to serve others by making disciples. I want you to see that fruit of the gospel increase in your community, my community, our community. I want to see it increase here because I'm here. And then I hope that it increases in all our communities so that it grows and spreads around the world. That's that's our hope. So last week we started with the background, kind of the context here. We talked about Paul's approach and uh, how he affirmed his authority, but he did it with respect. Um, and then he extended kind of grace and peace and reminded them that they're all family of the same father. Verse 1 and 2 there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So Paul continues now by reminding them of some of these benefits and some of these blessings um, that they as believers already have. 
So I've kind of got them separated out. We'll walk through them, but I'll tell you up front. There's a, a brotherhood or a family of faith, hope, and love. There's the, the bearing of fruit through grace and truth. There is being served through discipleship. These are all areas of benefits to believers. So we'll start with the first one, kind of a brotherhood or a family of faith, hope, and love. Look at verse 3, Colossians 1. We always thank, notice how many times he says we or our here. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We, we, our. Um, this Paul's speaking to them directly, but he's speaking from a, a group. His, his heart is speaking bigger than just himself. Talk about encouragement. You're not alone in this. There's a group. As a uh, church planner here in East Valley of Metro Phoenix, I have been um, blasted by all kinds of plans and strategies and ideas and suggestions for seeing this church grow and multiply and grow faster. Bold outreaches, um, big, big events, concerts, uh, man, giveaways, handouts, flyers. Not, most of that's not really our style. I'll tell you what is, though, and what we have seen really work in powerful ways. It's a, it's a real simple, real simple plan. It's called this. I'll pray for you. That's it, man. That's the plan. I'll pray for you. And then, hey, man, how's it going? How's it been? Like, you, you doing okay? Because I've been praying for you. How's that going? Whatever that is. Because I've been praying for that. I'm telling you, man, that carries so much weight. Think about what Paul is saying. He's opening by telling them he is praying for them. It's a common approach for him. He does it multiple times. He did it in Ephesians. He does it in Philemon. does it in Philippians. He does it several times. But what's the power in it? You think he's just saying it, or do you think he really does it? We do often say we're praying when we're not. So if you're going to take that approach, then you need to pray. But I think he's doing it, right? Why wouldn't he? What would it mean to hear that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, is praying for you? Think about Jesus told his disciples in John 17 he was praying for them. The Son of God is praying for you. I mean, it's powerful stuff. Notice why he's praying. He says, because we heard of your faith and your love for other believers. Paul sees their acceptance of the gospel as reason to pray continuously. Think about that. We usually go the foot way. We usually say, man, these guys are so lost. These guys are so messed up. We're going to have to pray for them. Man, we're going to pray hard because they're so lost. And then when they accept the gospel or when they turn and they begin to repent, immediately it's like, okay, good. We're good now. Remember, too, Paul hasn't even met these guys. And he's doing this. Really, I mean, though, how often do we thank... Here's what I'm saying. How often do we thank God for somebody else's faith? How often do we thank God that other people, by name, are praying for other people by name? Or are serving other... Not ourselves. Not, not, not hey, God, thank you that that person loves me. No, thank you that that person loves that person. How often do we do that kind of stuff, you know? Do we, do we ever pray harder when people are getting it right? 
whatever that means, but you know what I'm saying. How, how, you know, or do we stop praying when that happens? Hey, man, once they're living right, once they're doing the right thing, we just stop praying. No, man. Why would it be more important to Paul or to us either to, to pray more consistently after somebody has become a believer, a faithful believer? Their faith in Jesus and their love for others puts them in a place of hostility spiritually, hostility with the enemy. It makes their threat to the enemy greater. Therefore, it's a great reason to intensify prayer for them, not back off. Paul says, always here. Prays for them always. Does he mean every second? Not necessarily, but maybe. He says he's the one who wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Uh, so maybe every time that he, he prays, as he's walking, as he's talking, as he's thinking and communicating with God. Um, but literally, I think what he's getting at here is every time that we do pray, when it's time to pray, we pray for you. And that's what he's getting at. Paul also explains who they pray to. And this is big. He says, God and Father of Christ. And there in verse 3. They are the same. It's not two different people. And Paul's going to wear himself out through this letter making that point. I'm not going to jump into it now. You're going to see it very clearly within the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, one commentator wrote this. He said Paul's prayer here. His prayer is addressed to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is, is or excuse me, prayer is the unspeakable privilege of having an audience with the sovereign God of the universe. But it may be asked, how could a mere man dare to stand in the awful presence of the infinitely holy God? The answer is found in this text. The glorious and majestic God of the universe is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is infinitely holy has become intimately near. That's such a great statement. Because... As believers in Christ, we share his love. God is our father also, and we can draw near through Christ. Awesome, awesome. Uh, R.C. Sproul wrote this. He said, in the face of teachings that question whether Christ alone is sufficient for salvation, Paul reminds his readers up front through his opening prayer here of thanksgiving that what they already have in Christ is enough. Paul's being overly specific here, too, about who God is. I had a girlfriend um, many, many years ago, and uh, she was raised Jehovah's Witness, and neither one of us were really living right by any means. It was, uh, you know, back into the teen years, young 20s, pretty wild time, I think. But, but in any event, this girl was raised Jehovah's Witness, and she liked to talk about spiritual things, not necessarily Christianity, just spiritual type things. It was one of her favorite topics. And I'll never forget when she asked me the first time if I believed in God. When I said, of course, she said, which one? And that, I mean, I realize that's a common question in a lot of places, but for me, it struck me. I never heard anybody ask that question. Usually, it's either me too or how could you believe in God? And then we'll talk about maybe maybe we don't think in the same thing later, but to just outright say it, like which one? But being specific here is important. Explaining who God is, his nature here, Paul is getting at. That's something that was common in Scripture. Hebrew people had multiple 
names for one God. It wasn't multiple gods. It was one God, but they used different names to remind them of his identity. I'll give you a handful. You can look a bunch of them up if you want to. But Jehovah or Yahweh, that was the proper name for God. It's I am. It's the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. It, it Basically, it means eternal or omnipresent. He is that. So that's the identity of God you should think of, the eternal, the omnipresent. When you hear Jehovah, Yahweh, um, Jehovah Jireh, it means God, our provider. Jehovah Elohim, eternal creator. El Shaddai means Lord God Almighty. Uh, El Elyon. Lord God Most High, Hashem, means the name, kind of the name above all names idea. Adonai, Lord God, or Master, Ruler God. Paul's description of God here, it reminds us, think of the things without the direct words. Think of what he's saying by those words. He's the God that saved us because Jesus is our salvation and this is his Father. So he is the God who saved us. Uh, he is one with the Jesus because they have to share the same nature, the same identity, and he's going to wind that out as we go ahead in the, in the next couple of weeks. He is the God of family because he uses the word father, and he is father. Those are some of the nature, natures, I guess, is, I don't know if there's a plural word, <laughs> some of the things that are the nature of God that Paul wants them to be reminded of. And that makes us a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a family because that is our God. We are his family. So let's go on verse uh, Picking back up in verse 4, well, the end of 3 says, We always thank God. We pray for you. Verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love. Love there is the word agape, which is a Greek word. It means deep love, unconditional love. It's the idea of how God loves his people, that idea. That you have that kind of love that you have for all the saints because of the hope Laid up for you in heaven. Look at these three words Paul mentions there. Faith, verse 4. Love, verse 4. Hope, verse 5. Paul mentions all those characteristics. They're a blessing from God that these guys have. For Paul, these things are unique to being in a relationship with God. These are not just uh, characteristics or values that they cultivated in themselves. They came from being in a relationship with God. Uh, Norman Geisler wrote this. He said, faith is the soul looking upward to God. Love looks outward to others. Hope looks forward to the future. He said, faith rests on the past work of Christ. Love works in the present and hope attaches to the future. That's a beautiful idea of a blessing we have as believers. And Paul reminds them of these things frequently. He does in all of his letters, as I mentioned, but perhaps I think maybe Paul did that or does that because those are three things that are most important to him, maybe. Like those are things he cannot get over. Certainly we know he can't get over grace because he talks about that a lot. But I think those three things are things that he can't like get. He just can't get over how blessed he is to have those things. Um, and so for us, I think about uh, each of these things and ask yourself, have you gotten over it? Is it in the box in the garage? Have you gotten over it? Like, just think of them. Faith. A gift from God. Your faith is a gift from God. That you have faith in God. You believe in Jesus. That. 
Have you, have you gotten over that? You know, hope of heaven. Hey, man, heaven awaits. There is hope of heaven. Not just way off in the sky, but here as well, a kingdom on earth. Do you, have you, have you, do you still have that hope? Or is that in a box in the garage? Love, man. Not just, uh, I love God, but you love God. You love Jesus, and he loves you, and you know it. And you love others. You love brothers. You love sisters in the faith. And you love the lost. Those things, are those still in there? Have you gotten over it? Are they in the garage? These guys, Paul says, they have love for all the saints. And Jesus says that's how the world would recognize us as disciples, right? That we loved one another. You know, John 13, 35. So why? Is a good question. Do they love all the saints? Paul says here it's because of the hope they have laid up in heaven. It's not talking about, Paul's not talking about just a big place of bliss. He's talking about a destination. He's talking about a specific place. He's talking about the eternal kingdom of Jesus. And that, what he's getting at is their hope is beyond the reach of anything. Their hope is, is beyond anything material or spiritual being able to take it. It cannot be lost. It cannot be destroyed. Satan himself can't take it because it is laid up in heaven. So maybe if you're finding trouble loving, maybe you need to reflect on the hope that you have. Maybe you need to remember that that hope came from your faith in what Jesus already did. And that makes you family. With one father and with others. And remember that that hope is for a kingdom that we're all going to be part of. That all of his saints are part of that kingdom and will be part of that kingdom. And if you're hoping for that kingdom, it should spur you to love those who are going to be part of that kingdom, right? So let's move on. Another benefit of believing. brother, You have this brotherhood of faith, hope, and love. Family of faith, hope, and love. Also, bearing fruit through grace and truth. Look at verse 5. He says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. That's something that occurred. It's, it's occurred in the past, and it remains a present condition. So the gospel came to them. It's still with them. But also, as indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Verse 4, he says, since we heard. Verse 5, you have heard. Verse 6, since you heard. The gospel is spreading. The good news is traveling. They have heard it. It's bigger. It's growing. It's still with them, but they are pressing it on. It's it's it's. Going, Paul's excited here. That I'm hearing, I'm hearing this. They're hearing this. The word is spreading. The news is out. You know, uh, notice in verse five and in verse six, verse five, he says the word of the truth. Verse six, the grace of God in truth. I think he's interested in the truth right here. The truth. It is not a truth. You have heard the truth. That's one of the things we say, the gospel truth. That's kind of where the idea comes from. The gospel is the truth. And there's no shadow. It is the truth. And he's saying that this truth, this is the truth. The word there, word is the, is the word logos. It means it's the message. He's saying that message is the truth. That word is the truth. Jesus said what? 
I am the truth. Jesus, uh, John uh, said of Jesus that he is the Logos, the word. He's the message. He's the truth. And the gospel is, in essence, it's him. He is the gospel. The gospel is noted here by Paul that it's in two places, he says. It's in the world, but it's in them too. So it's something they're part of, but in, in a big sense, but also in a small sense. And when he says it's in all the world, he's not talking about every single human being on the planet. He's talking about every tribe and nation. It's the idea that it's without discrimination, that it's not just the Jews and not just where the Jews are. It's not just in Jerusalem. It's in Judea, Samaria, and it's spreading now to the ends of the earth, right? Um, it has been 30 years, maybe, around that time since the cross. And the gospel has been all over Paul's world, from Jerusalem to Greece to Italy, Syria, Turkey, North Africa to Persia. It was pretty much the world that he lived in, but he's saying it's also in them. Like they're part of this. It's something much bigger, but they're also intimately part of it. It speaks of the unity here that we have as believers, all of us everywhere around one gospel, one truth, one word. And then he says the fruit here that he's referencing, the fruit proves it because it's the same fruit everywhere. It's the same fruit everywhere, which tells us it's from the same tree. It's the same one. Notice the fruit here is a result, too, of hearing and understanding or knowing. It's not a result of going and doing. And it's also not a result of not doing. What I mean by that is it's not a result of good works and it's not a result of bad works. It's a result, he says, of hearing and knowing. It's called grace. They already have it. They already have it. I mentioned earlier, like the toys in the garage, we tend to forget the blessings because they seem old or routine. I remember uh, Tim LaFleur. I don't know why he's getting all my TV time. I mentioned him last week. But I remember Bro T um, telling me one time, I, I used to meet with him on a regular basis when we served together. And uh, I was talking one day, just telling him about my week ahead. And I told him something like I had to preach on Tuesday. And then I was going to be, but before I could finish, um, I think I was telling him I had to preach in a prison on Tuesday. And I was just going down a list. But before I got past that, he stopped me and he said, whoa, 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 you have the privilege of preaching on Tuesday. Just that one little change, that one little tiny word, that one simple word was a huge reminder of the blessing that I have. Something that I'd put in, in the box in the garage. The blessing that I had, I mean, of, of, of having a privilege to preach his gospel, to share his word, and to see the fruit of the gospel that's a privilege, man. And I'm not that, I don't have it as a preacher. We all have it as believers. But I was just reminded of it by one simple word change. Um, there's a few different references to the fruit in the word, obviously, in the word of God and Bible. Obviously, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, that's probably what comes to mind first if you know the word. There's others like the fruit of righteousness in Philippians 1. Jesus talked about in John 15, abide in me and I and you and talking about producing fruit that way. But I feel like the point here is not determining specifically what the fruit is. I think the point in what he's talking about here is that fruit has seed. 
and that seed hits the ground, goes into the ground, the seed dies, and up comes another plant that has more fruit that bears seed. And those seeds go in. And so what he's talking about, I think, is more about reproducing. And we're reproducing the same seed. It's the same plant. It reflects the same nature in the world and in us here or in Colossae with these guys. That they, It's the same seed. It's increasing. The fruit of the gospel is increasing. It's spreading. It's not so much about the as about about their character as it is about the fact that the gospel is spreading through their faith and their obedience. I think that's where he's at. So I ask myself, you know, does the gospel spread through me? Does the gospel spread through you? Does it? Do you know what the gospel is? In in the most basic sense, it means good news. In the classic classic Greek context what it what it meant was it was used in terms of war to proclaim victory good news we've won uh and that's a pretty good way of looking at it because the gospel is good news that jesus has defeated death sin um through his cross can, can you articulate that to someone is it good news to you first can you express it can you communicate the clear thought of what the gospel means that Christ, that Jesus has defeated sin. We need to remember, by the way, that the news is good. Too often we focus on sin, trying to convince people for hours that they're a sinner. And it's important they recognize that or there's no good in it. But but it is ultimately good news. It's a celebration. It's victory. You know what I mean? It, 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 it shouldn't be miserable. It shouldn't be terrifying. It should be exciting. One other note here, it says they, they heard, but they also understood. It means to recognize, to discern clearly and distinctly, but with a burden for response. So, so to hear is an act of man's choosing. This is a basic way to remember. To hear is an act of man's choosing, but to understand is an act of God's grace. To hear is an act of man's choosing, but to understand is an act of God's grace. John 3, uh, 3 comes to my mind. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. He would say things like, let him who has ears hear. We all have ears. He's not saying everybody hear. What he's saying is, he's saying that if you understand what I'm saying, lean in. Like, listen, if you understand, if you have the ears, if your ears are tuned in and turned on, you know, turn, turn on, hear me. Um, because hearing's not enough. Faith is a result of understanding. Romans 10, one of the more quoted verses in Romans 10, he says, faith comes by hearing, not faith is hearing. Faith comes by hearing. They heard and they understood the grace of God. But, they were they understood by the grace of God, but what's cool is they also learned from Epaphras, the disciple maker. Look at the last one here. One more benefit of believing. and we'll finish up here pretty quick. So you have this brotherhood of faith, hope, and love. You have bearing fruit through grace and truth. Then you have being served through discipleship. Look at verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved, that's that same agape word that we mentioned before, the kind of love God has for us. He's saying we love, we all feel this way with Epaphras. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ. That word servant, fellow servant, the word servants, doulos in Greek, it means slave. And then he says he's a faithful minister. Minister is also a word that could be servant 
or it is diakonos, it's where we get the word deacon, but it means like serving a meal type thing, someone who would serve a meal to someone else. He says he's a fellow slave, he is a servant of Christ on your, some say our, behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. When you go to a restaurant, and I used to work in restaurants for years, I was a chef for a long time, but when you go into a restaurant, what do you expect from them? You want the hostess to smile at you when you come in. Man, good, great to see you. Glad you're here. You want them to hurry up and get you a table. You want them to walk you back, say nice things to you, ask how your day was maybe. I don't know how personal you want them to get, but you want it to be a good experience. You want the server to come out and ask what you want. You want the server to get what you need when you need it, preferably even before you ask because they see, oh, my glass never got low because she just kept filling it up or he kept filling it up. You want them to be respectful of you. You want them to be mature. You want them to look clean. Um, you don't want them to be too comfortable, but you don't want them to be awkward. You, you know, you have all these things that you really want to experience from these restaurants and from these servers that come out and take care of you. You want your table clean with a smile. You want the check to be affordable. You want all these things. Too often we mistake our experience with God uh, in such a way when we become believers. But what we do is... We see ourselves as the ones that are the customers and God as our server. We want these things from God. God, I need you to do this. I need you to get this. God, I want you to get that before I even need it. God, I want you to set that up before it even bothers me. God, don't let that catch me off guard. Watch myself over here. God, don't make it expensive. You know, we have all these things. But what we need to realize is that God owns the restaurant. God is the owner. And we are servers, but we're not serving the restaurant, we're serving the people within. We serve each other. We're in God's restaurant, God's family, so to speak, and we serve each other. And the way we serve each other reflects the owner of the restaurant, and it reflects the reputation of the restaurant. And Paul notes here that Epaphras has served the Colossians in God's restaurant really well. Um, and done it well. He says that they learned it from Epaphras. That word learned it that's translated there is closely related to the other word in Greek for disciple. Very similar word. Epaphras didn't just host some class or preach some message and then give this big altar call. He invested his life there in making disciples. Um, the model for them is Epaphras, because Paul never went there, remember? It is Epaphras. He's a fellow slave and a servant. Slave to who? Uh, you know, in what way? Both of those words there, those Greek words are nouns, but slave, duolos, is his, duolos is his identity. Okay? Servant, diakonos, that's what he does. Slave is his identity, servant is what he does. Also notice he doesn't serve them specifically. He serves Christ first, but he serves Christ on their behalf. So in serving Christ, he's serving them, making disciples here. He serves them as Christ would serve them. That's the idea. He's making disciples is not only his commission, but it's our commission from Jesus. That's the one thing he gave us to do. It's not just sharing the gospel. We make disciples. That's what we do. We're not just winning the lost. We make disciples. Recently, um, I had a friend tell me of a pastor where he serves on staff, a head pastor, 
uh, that had been there 50 years that said, I feel ill-equipped to make disciples. Well, what have you been doing for 50 years? That's the one thing that was most dimed out by Jesus. That's the commission. That's the charge. Warren Wiersbe said this. The word disciple is found more than 260 times in the gospel and acts alone. And that day, a disciple was not simply a person who sat and listened to a teacher. He was someone who lived with the teacher and who learned by listening, looking, and living. Discipleship involved more than enrolling in a school and attending lectures. It meant total surrender to the teacher. It meant learning by living. One last note here, verse 8. And he or says, and it's made known to us, Epaphras has made known to us, your love in the Spirit. This is the only time the Holy Spirit's mentioned in the whole letter of Colossians. And the reference here is connected to unifying believers. So here's one more blessing that we are connected by the indwelling love of the Holy Spirit. That is a beautiful thing. So what do we do with this? How do we close this out? What do we do? Well, first of all, I would say, along with the series here, re-examine who you really are in light of these things we said. For instance, you are, if you're a believer, you are saved by grace. You're saved by God's own Son that, from the text. You, you, you have an understanding of the gospel of grace. You are part of advancing the gospel of grace. You're loved by God and by other believers. You're able to bear fruit. Huge one. You are prayed for. Someone is praying for you. Somebody you're praying, you are prayed for. And you possess a hope of heaven. Remind yourself that that's who you are. Those are things that make up your character, who you are as a believer. The gospel, man. I can tell you that Paul said it. The gospel is the power of salvation for those who believe. Um, But it comes not just by hearing. It comes by understanding it. It comes by understanding it. And this is the gospel. This is the victory. This is the good news. Jesus conquered sin and death. Do you recognize that you're a sinner? Do you recognize, are you aware that death is a real enemy? Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the fear of that? Do you believe in my hearing today that Jesus conquered sin? That Jesus is victorious over it? That Jesus did that by taking sin on himself and nailing, being nailed to a cross? That your sin is something that he took upon himself, nailed on a cross, giving you the righteousness that belonged to him. The righteousness before God that belonged to him. And then he rose from the dead and defeated death. Death could not. How's the grave going to hold him? He created everything. Rose from the grave. That makes it possible for you to rise as well one day. That that you have the hope of heaven. If you're hearing this today, listen to me. If you're really hearing it, if you're really hearing what I'm saying, that's the grace of God revealed through the word of truth. To you. You need to respond. You need to tell him you hear him. You you need to surrender your life to him. 
take a knee and say, I am your servant. Allow him to use you. He will. He'll use you to produce fruit in the gospel, to spread it further, to carry it on. He'll use you to do that. He'll use you to make disciples. If you're already in the family, if you already call yourself a believer, a disciple, if you're in the family, take some time to remember what's in the garage, man. Go unpack it. Take some time to remember what God's already blessed you with by faith, by grace. Celebrate it for a minute. You know what I mean? Look, thank God for it. And pray. Pray for your family. I mean, your immediate family, sure, but I'm talking about your family of believers. Pray for us out here trying to plant this church. Let us know how we can pray for you. You know, come join us tonight if you want. We can talk about it. Messages for the location. Uh, you can find us, as I said, on social media, whatever. Send us a message. We'll tell you where. Come join us if you're in the East Valley. We're in Tempe. Come join us. Or email us if you want us to pray for you. Just pop on there and send us the email. I don't care if you're here or not. Email us. If there's something like, man, I really want to pray. I need somebody to be praying for me. I need to know somebody's praying for me. Hit us up. We'll do it. I promise. I give you my word. We will pray for you. There are other resources out there that can help educate you on praying for other believers around the world. One of the best is Operation World. You can look that up, Google it, Operation World. It's a book, but uh, they have online resources too. just help you know how to pray for believers around the world. So with that being said, let me pray for you guys now. And um, again, if you're in Tempe, we'll look forward to seeing you tonight. And uh, if not, hit us up how we can pray for you, and, um, and we will. Lord, I thank you for, again, the privilege of being part of your family. I thank you for grace, Lord. I thank you for saving me. And uh, I can feel the weight of what Paul says when he refers to himself as the chief of sinners. I feel like my life has been riddled by sin and still I wrestle with it. Yet I know because of your grace, I am a new creation in Christ. I pray if there are those today that don't know you, that today they surrender and say, I don't care where they are or what they're doing, I'm done. I'm yours. I'm done. I believe I believe, I hear, and I understand, and I believe. And God, I pray that if if there are men and women that would do that, that I know you bring them into the family. Bring around them people like Epaphras. Bring around them uh, a brotherhood, a sisterhood that would help disciple and grow them. The obvious place for that is the church, and I hope they find a good one. If they're here in Tempe, Lord, I pray you guide them our direction, or the East Valley, wherever. Lord, uh Again, I thank you for the privilege of technology and the opportunity to be able to do this this way. I pray that uh, you bless that and grow your church. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.